Welcome to Brewment, the podcast show. My name is Ichiro Takahashi, and each week we bring you the person or the message that will help you improve your life. Thanks for tuning in. Now, let's begin your journey. This week's guest, David McCall, joins me to talk about... <laughs> it was a wide-range conversation, I will say. But first, who is David McCall? Well, besides being the senior associate and head of vocal department at New York Vocal Coaching Studios, he is also one of the leading instructors of Contemporary Voice in New York City. David has also taught as a master teacher of Contemporary Voice for the NYSTA Corporative Vocal Pedagogy Series. As a member of Actors' Equity, He has performed and music directed in New York and regionally. As a music director and composer, he has collaborated on new musical theater works that have toured the U.S. As a writer and producer, he has worked with many leading Broadway stars on popular web series. And last but not least, he is a founding member of the Nerve Project Theater Company. We talked about why social media has dropped the walls for artists, so to say, but also has created an unthinkable amount of competition. Why he always says that you should rehearse and practice beyond the demands of the show, how to warm up and for how long to warm up your voice before any presentation, why you should avoid at all costs to play the competition game and how it can affect you, and, and so much more. So, without further to say, please enjoy. Are you ready to record them? Yes, let's go ahead and do it. Awesome. You know what's funny? I always speak, as I, as I told you, with my guests before we transition to what's going to be the final cut. But when I hear you speak, when I hear your voice, it sounds like someone who's accustomed to being in front of a microphone, in front of a camera, in front of a crowd. Yeah, th this goes back to being a kid, okay, so full disclosure, I grew up in Tennessee, mm -hmm. in rural West Tennessee, and there weren't a ton of performance opportunities, save for singing at church, and then a few school programs. But even then, we didn't have performance beyond fifth grade. So everything that we did was ended after elementary school for me. So I was bursting at the seams to perform, and I would perform, um, musicals in my living room, of course, and uh, it all culminated in me. I, I wrote productions for my school to do. Like my fifth grade, I wrote an adaptation of The Wizard of Oz and cast it and like, had all the main musical highlights, but also wrote the, um, the dialogue that would lead us into the songs, much more truncated than what the movie would have been or the full script. And I that love of performing has always been there. I can't really explain it, but there is something to sharing what's inside with everyone. And maybe that's it. It's like I look at it as sharing as opposed to having to perform or create something artificial. No, anytime we're in front of people, we're displaying who and what we are and our feelings, our emotions, our information. And you can't really separate those two. And I, rather than try to hide in it, I'd say embrace it. Mm, interesting, interesting. Do you still get anxious before stepping on the stage? If you ever felt anxious before, obviously. Let's see. 
Yes and no. I think it depends upon the project. I mm. just did a, well, let me share this with you. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who runs a theater down in Savannah, Georgia, and she was speaking with me about directing a production for them of Julius Caesar. But in the current landscape, how it's hard to get actors together safely and obey government guidelines. What if we rehearse this over Zoom and then for two weeks and then for two weeks got together in the same room, like problem solving how we're going to rehearse this play, create a, a, a luscious internal life for this thing over Internet. And it's something that I started to get butterflies about. Number one, because I've not had to do this before. A lot of us are figuring this out in the landscape of theater and performance, mm -hmm. but also how exciting to be a pioneer in the year 2020 of solving these problems, hopefully for future generations or people who perhaps have been limited by their access to space and people. Mm -hmm. Gosh, now you could have anybody be in this play for those two weeks of rehearsal. So uh, that gets me excited. I don't know if anxious is the word. Um, anxious to me feels like I'm not exactly sure how it's going to go. Yeah. But I, I try to surround myself with people who are going to do the work and who have that positive mindset. So we kind of know something great's going to happen. We don't know exactly what that might be, but it's going to be cool. Well, well. Excitement and anxiety are pretty close, so to say, in the physiology, right? Like you feel mm -hmm. almost the same. You only know that when you are excited, you actually want that future thing to happen. And when yes. you are anxious, you don't want this future thing to happen, so to say. True. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what will be the moment that you consider the beginning of your career? Let's see. The moment that I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I feel like I'm always beginning my career, if I'm honest with you. you know, I, I really feel that I, uh, how do we even put this? Um, it seems like there are several careers that are going concurrently at mm -hmm. any given time. And yeah. those fall under the categories of self-improvement guru or like guru in training and voice coach musician director actor like across the board it's like i slowly move the little um gosh it makes me think of watching the little rabbit races the mechanical rabbit races or dog races uh moving across the screen or something or watching something load uh, on a computer screen i would Go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah. In that case, if I can reframe the, the question, when when will you say was the a starting point, or when did you will you say you you got into the this world of acting, arts, music? Perfect. I had always, like I said, felt that pull to perform to share. Um, I can feel there are, there was a moment in fifth grade when I was performing where I knew, okay, 
I love making these people happy. They are laughing, they're enjoying themselves, and I'm a part of the reason why, fantastic. And that set my course. My first professional performance job mm. is fast forward after college where I had studied voice and studied theater, um, was, <laughs> was at Dollywood in Tennessee where I was a singer, dancer, actor in a show, a brand new show that Dolly Parton had written. Are you familiar with Dollywood at all? Not exactly, but, okay. I, I, can, but, but, but I can sense the, in your voice, in the vibe, that was, a, that was some, something special for you back then. It was so special. Here in Tennessee, uh, it is a, um, it's an amusement park that carries the namesake of Dolly Parton. So when you go in, it's a celebration of the Smoky Mountains of country music, specifically the music of Dolly Parton. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the shows have her influence. And it's, a, it's an entertainment heavy park. So the rides are great. Yes, the food is everything you would expect. But at the same time, there's so much more an emphasis on performance and music. So I was getting paid to sing for people in the heat of the summer and on breaks, running and riding roller coasters. Like the fun part was great. But getting to be a part of a show written by someone of that notoriety who came and actually performed with us when we opened the show. Yes, we got to perform with Dolly Parton. It, it was a life-changing moment for me. Wow. It was surreal, surreal. So that was super exciting. And I did that for a couple summers. I was the vocal lead, which just meant I was the point man for any vocal problems that people would experience or any fatigue that we had to deal with, um, adjusting parts. So yeah, like the, the teacher in me was alive then as well. And that was being nurtured while I was getting to perform. So I would call that, like, technically, that was my first professional paying gig. Awesome. How old were you at the time? I was, let's see, I think, how old are we in college? I guess 19 or 20. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Let's go back in time then. Let's go back to that time frame. It could be month or the whole year or, or you know what? Better yet. If you were 20 years old again, today, mm -hmm. 2020, you have the same passion, ambition, and vision. How will you start your career today? Today, as the landscape has adjusted so much. Yeah. because I was... so... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Ooh. No, no, no. Uh, um, I'm telling you that you, you should also consider that in 2020, you have all this access to social media platforms. Absolutely. Yeah. And the people I work with today, when they ask this, what can I be doing? I immediately ask, well, do you have your YouTube channel? Do mm. you have, are you posting anything on your live or on your uh, social media? Like you say, mm. are you developing yourself as an artist? in the ways that you have at your disposal because it's so immediate now there is the the walls have dropped the mm -hmm. gatekeeper is now you 
And that is something that has completely flipped. I mean, here we sit talking on an application that was just a twinkle in someone's imagination. Like this, this is the solution to a problem we didn't have that now it has just opened the world up. So whenever I talk to clients and they are wanting to get the career started, you have you, you can start that trajectory, oh, wait, immediately, like right yeah. now. So I've got some recording artists who are, yes, they're working on their albums, but at the same time, they're doing live shows. And they may not have a ton of people showing up, but as soon as they start getting a little heat or someone gets introduced to their work, they have this multi-platform presence yeah. that lends credibility to what they're doing as an artist that immediately jump starts. It makes other people want to be a part of something. And that's yeah. something that we see as human beings. We want to be a part of something bigger than we are. And that's why we can't just put our eggs in one basket, so to speak. We can't just be experts in one field. We have to have a knowledge across the board so that other people want to be a part of that and can join that and feel like there's a, a niche for them or you're speaking somehow for them. Yeah. Is that something, right, like, does that make sense to you? Does, does that resonate with you as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree, man. And I, I want to add something because my girlfriend actually loves to act and, and to sing, but she never acted before in, on like on a professional way. But something that I always tell her is that, and I, that's why I agree with you, she should be posting any type of monologue she can or um, cover she can on social media, YouTube, Instagram, now nowadays TikTok, right? And yes. I believe, and here's, the, here's my, my, another question, that I, a follow-up question. Because I believe that nowadays you don't need to be, so to say, a professional, like, you know, four or five years studying, whatever, acting, mm -hmm. who, who knows what, to, to show the world your, your, your skills, right? It's uh, true. Even though, even though I respect completely the people who goes to acting school for five, six, seven years, I don't know how, how long it is over there, but you can show how good you are nowadays, you know, with a 15 second clip on TikTok or on Instagram, right? Yes. So yes. here is another follow-up question. Maybe it's not a question, maybe it's a statement. Do you agree with this idea that she should be putting out as much content as she could? I, yes, and I want to add to that, she should be putting out as much content that she is 100% proud of as possible. Mm. And, and, and what I mean by that is, yes, what we just said, it's accessible to all. But I think that also means the, what we haven't touched on is that the competition in a way has increased as well in that mm. now the world is the actual stage. All the world's a stage. So, yes. yep. and now it actually is. So we wanna make sure that what you're doing is true to your artistic integrity and your artistic intent. So just to put a video out, to put a video out, uh, I, I think we can smell that. We as an audience can see, oh gosh, here we go. But if you're doing something, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah. But if you're doing something that you are proud of, that you have a message with, and I don't necessarily mean a 
like a political message or some kind of grander yeah. message, but just something, an artist, an artistic statement that you're yeah. putting out there, fully realized, absolutely pop that out there. Because then you're rehearsing, you're becoming your own producer. I, that to me is invaluable to get the eyes of a producer as a performer or even the eyes of a director as a performer. Because I think, so, that, mm -hmm, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Keep going, keep going. Oh, so I'm just saying, yes, put these videos out there, but there's nothing wrong with editing them and trying again, getting them like, don't be, don't consider yourself a one take wonder. There's no real celebration in that because you're saying, uh, you're saying you're done. And that to me goes against the idea of an artist. An artist to me is a, a constant learner, a constant adapter. So you know, a few takes is going to be really helpful for you, making sure you're rehearsing it, like just bringing your, the full weight of your integrity to each video or to each instance of something to post. That's, that's going to be where it's at. And that'll set you above a lot of other people who are just tossing things up, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now I have another couple of follow-up questions. And yeah. the, the first one will be, do you think then, I mean, what I understand that you are trying to say is that nowadays with all this access that we have, we are not being just the, the artist, not just a musician or an actor. You, we are also the director, the post-production. We are the, the, the producer, all that together, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, what's the, this, if it is one in your opinion, obviously, but this is slight edge between, oh, I should put out something that is, I am feeling proud of, and I'm literally overthinking this too much. <laughs> yes. I saw this follow-up question two miles away. I really did, because I feel it. Because also, as artists, don't we tend to be the perfectionists, the ones mm. who stop ourselves from doing things because of that risk of failure? And it can feel like the stakes are so high when you're putting something out that could be viewed by anyone in the world. So yes, there has to be some level of, oh, gosh, this is getting into the huge dichotomies of the universe. The, the, <laughs> I had an acting professor, really a mentor who said, we have to have the audacity to say that our voice is worthy to be heard and the humility to realize that we don't know everything. Wow. Right? Chew on that for a lifetime because that's exactly what it means. It's just one of those yin and yang, like the energy, the, the audacity, the putting your voice out there, the swinging big versus the knowledge that, you know what? Someone can do this better and has done this better and will do this better. The fact that makes it valuable is that it's my voice doing it. So we run into this a lot, like when I'm working with singers, how they want to, they, they're finding themselves emulating the original artists of particular tunes. And that is so helpful to learn the skills that certain musicians have, but we have to let that go and allow what really wants to happen when these words, this melody channels through your body. And it's always going to be a little more different or just 
it's going to be a different entity than what um, than what started. But that is the artistic process, the passing of the ideas and how it digests through each person. And that's what purifies it in a way. So give yourself a time limit. This is something that I'll tell some students to do. Give a song or a monologue at least two to three hours of rehearsal yeah. before you even film. Some table work, make your beats, allow your, um, allow your impulses to be felt without any outside influences, then get it up on its feet. Like the same way you would rehearse a play, same way you would rehearse any other time. There's no time limit. There's no real time limit. So we can remove that urgency pulse that says, oh gosh, I have to do this now. The moment is passing. No, that's an illusion. It really is an illusion, I promise. So I would tell your girlfriend, embrace the rehearsal period, but give yourself a scheduled rehearsal period. Yeah. This week I will, I will be filming on Thursday and Friday. Therefore I need to rehearse Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Perfect. Good. We'll release it on Sunday after editing on Saturday. Yeah. Done. Done. Yeah. And then gone. You know? Man, you, you can't see me right now, but I'm smiling. You, you can't believe how big my smile is right now because dude, I, that's what I tell her that, that is, in order to not overthink something, give yourself a deadline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because then you know what you got to do. And, and, and then you also know that if that, if in two days, two hours, whatever is your, the amount of time that you want to, to give yourself to rehearse the, the monologue, for, for example, um, if it goes well, if it goes bad, and who knows what actually is good or bad nowadays, um, Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you at least you at least know that you can finish a product so to say in two days or two hours so there is yes not that that, um, that huge amount of anxiety pressure on your shoulders that's so right and to circle back to what i was saying before and i fully believe this we can't really separate the actor or the singer from the song or from the character so to speak. So if you are coming at it with your pure heart, with your true impulses that aren't trying to mimic anybody else, we see that the audience, we sees that. And that's what we're, that's what we pay the money to see. That's what we spend our time taking in or what we want to. We want to see actors and singers doing that which we as a collective people are scared to do, to experience these emotions, to say yes to the dangerous choice. Mm. We need that. Otherwise, we start deteriorating as a people. Like we need artists to be fearless. Yeah. And so part of it, you know, it goes back to that. You have to have that fearlessness, but also recognize it's like the audacity and the humility, yeah. the fearlessness to say, I, I don't care. I'm going to do this F everything mm. versus I want to do this so carefully and be so, and honor this material, honor this, uh, this video, this song so much. Oh, it's balance, balance in all things, right? Yeah. There we go. That's a word, that's a word, <laughs> balance. And I feel balance, balance um, came with, 
with, with self-awareness and self-awareness came with experience and experience came yes. and the most you try, the most you put out. Um, yes. While, while I was doing my research, because I'm a good boy, <laughs> I heard today <laughs> in the New York Vocal Coach podcast that the show is the easy part. And even though it might sound self-explanatory, could you elaborate around this idea? Oh, certainly. I believe this was the context of rehearsing or something. Yeah. Is that what this podcast was? Yes. Um, so this is another concept that was gifted to me by my mentors. You asked me about the uh, first moment, uh, professional moment in my career. The most formative, I would say, was the time I spent at the Barter Theater under the tutelage of Katie Brown, who is now the artistic director of the theater. And one of the um, one, one of the spirits or one of the um, the tenets of that program, which I consider to be my grad school education, was that we want the play to be the play will be the easy part because we want to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse beyond what the play demands. And I translate this in my work with singers now. We want to rehearse and practice beyond the demands of the song. Mm. If the song's range is narrow, we're not going to stick to a narrow range as we rehearse, but rather extend beyond. If the breath is and has to be held for 30 seconds, we're going to be pushing to 45 seconds or beyond mm. because we don't want to set our limitations based upon the work in front of us. We always want to be finding that next the next horizon being pioneers of performers. So in the case of making the show the easy part, the show will last what, an hour to two and a half hours, usually tops, unless we're doing an opera, in which case we could be looking at five, six hours. In that case, your rehearsal time needs to be X, the length of the show, point or times X point five or X times two mm. to get a little too mathy. Yeah. So you want to make sure by the time you get to showtime, you're nowhere near spent or tired or exhausted by the end of the show that you are such, think of that uh, as an Olympic athlete. Yeah. We don't want to train for just what's necessary. Mm. There's too much margin of error there. And if something goes wrong, it can offset your entire performance. But if you are so resilient that you have rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed, there's no way you can go awry. Uh, nothing can really go awry because you're so well-oiled machine. You're such a well-oiled machine. You are so ready to take on anything because the show is easy now. Yeah. Wow. What a mentality, man. Let, let's, let's stay on the same track. I would like to know, what does your day look like when you have a presentation or an audition or any gig that you consider important? Could you walk me through from the moment you wake up? to the moment you step on a stage. Aha, okay. So let's see. Um, moment I wait, oh gosh. It, you know, it, it, <laughs> you're not gonna like this. It changes day to day, but it's okay. Because now in the land of our, um, our quarantines and our uh, stay at home, that is, <laughs> it's kind of easier <laughs> to have the, uh, the regular uh, pattern. So I'll usually get up, let's see, around 7.30, 8 or so, and then I will uh, check the email really fast. 
But then if I know I'm going to be working with a lot of singers today, I will feel my voice. And what I mean by that is I'll start with some kind of vocal exercise that allows me to see how are my high notes today. And I don't mean loud and high, I mean my falsetto, my head voice, seeing how pliable are my vocal cords today. It kind of feels like a puppy dog sound right there. So that lets me know if, if I can phonate that really quickly, then awesome. It's going to be an okay vocal day. That's intact. Everything else will follow that. If it is hard to phonate, if I'd have had a particularly rough performance the night before or a long teaching day the day before, then I need to start warming up a little bit more to make sure I'm ready. So I'll try some breathing exercises. I'll start stretching physically as well as vocally. Um, so then if things are going well, then I will go for a run. And then um, let's see, I'm trying to get up my physical fitness here even more. Gosh, I tell you what, and now that it's getting hotter, it's tougher to get these runs in. I'm just complaining. That's what I'm complaining right now. <laughs> but always good, always feel better after a run. Then when I come back, I usually dive into sessions with singers. And these are hour long sessions with New York vocal coaching, where we'll, we all have different goals that we're working on hour to hour. For instance, the gentleman I was just working with is playing Jack in Newsies here in the city in a production. It's been paused. Hopefully it'll be able to start back up, but we're still working on that music. Mm -hmm. So we'll go through exercises, training, trying to make it more difficult than the show would actually be, yeah. like I said. And then I'll do my own practice um, after said sessions. I don't, I, I'm kind of getting lost in thought here because I'm realizing, oh, and then yesterday I was, oh, go ahead. Let, let me interrupt you in that case. I will, yes, please. I, I will then, will you say that you, you have a morning routine or you think that it depends on the day? It's, there is a, a morning routine in that it's the checking the voice, okay. checking that. But then with the challenges of the day, like once I get beyond that, it's adapting to whatever that's going to be. Okay, okay. In that case, let me ask you this. What's the most unorthodox ritual you have ever tried before an audition or a gig? Or have you ever seen someone, I don't know, warming up and you were like, oh gosh. <laughs> Wait, like obnoxious warm up? Um, I, I use the word unorthodox, but I don't know. Oh, unorthodox. I got you. <laughs> um, what is the most unorthodox? Um, let's see. I kind of get a giggle when I think of in holding rooms at auditions, which is the room you wait in to be called in to go to the audition. I have seen a, a lot of the squeezing like people breathing so hard in that their nostrils collapse. You know what I'm talking about? That like that really heavy pull in of the breath that makes you think, is this your first breath you've taken in five years? Question mark. Um, <laughs> things like that. The aggressive breathing to me, I don't quite understand. I could understand, again, strengthening those breathing muscles, but... Um, I just get tickled. I, I, there's an image I have of a particular gentleman who is sitting on the floor, legs crossed, 
Um, and I think he was going for some relaxation technique and then basically sucked the air out of the room with a huge inhale. And I thought, wow, he's going to war, this guy. So, yeah, that that's really funny to me. Um, something, something that I think doesn't serve a lot of performers is the the loud, heavy singing when they're about to go into an audition. I, I had a teacher who once said, don't spend your high notes warming up, mm. which makes so much sense now that I have been studying singing for as long as I have. Mm. It's like, no, you don't need, warming up is just getting blood flowing. You don't have to, you, you just don't have to burn down the house to try to make it work right here. Like, no, save it for the stage. But just make sure the machine is working well. That's all it is. You should know your body and your voice well enough that you don't have to prove to yourself in warm-ups that it's there. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, yeah. Let's use that in that case as a segue. I want to, you to think of the interviews I host for my podcast, um, like this one, as if they were, I don't know, let's say an audition. What I would like to know is what, let's say, the 15 minutes pre or my interviews should look like. And I say 15 minutes because I don't know exactly the time I should spend warming up my voice before a conversation. So, you know what? Two questions. For how long okay. should I warm up my voice before an interview? And what should I be doing during this warm up? Okay. So, how long should you be warming up your voice before an interview, before a presentation? Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. I would say definitely 15 minutes. Def, um, anything beyond anything beyond an hour or 45 minutes is probably a bit excessive. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I would say this also depends upon how healthy your voice is to begin with. Mm. Now, provided that we are feeling so well and healthy, yeah, 15 minutes to 30 minutes is going to be perfect. If we're feeling under the weather, and you're feeling a little thick or a little hoarse, you probably want to add a little more time there to encourage some stretching. But ultimately, we can live in that realm of about 15 to 30 minutes. We'll call it 20 minutes to be even more specific. Cool. So let's call this a 20-minute warm-up. What that's going to look like can, can differ. So say if you have to speak to a large group. Okay. We want to make sure we're taking care of the three zones of the voice. Those three zones are breathing, phonation, and resonance. Mm. Now let's start with the breathing here. Breathing, we want to make sure our lower abdomen muscles, our lower back, our sides, basically all the muscles that make up your core are ready and active. I'm not, we want to avoid any kind of crunch feeling or a plank feeling, but there is some strength involved. So a breathing exercise could be as simple as a slow inhale through the nose to capacity, and then a long hiss out for the complete duration of the breath. Mm. And for fun, to get even more methodical about this, you could time yourself. You could say, ooh, I made it about 15 seconds Let's try it twice more going for 20 seconds and then 25 seconds. You can work this way all the way up to a minute. Probably no real need for that, but it's fun to keep that practice going. 
so that you're always increasing and you keep a, a record of it. But that's always great for me. It gets your body ready. It wakes up those core muscles, first of all, the expansion muscles, as well as the compression muscles of the core. And it also gets your body used to letting out a, a fixed amount of air consistently so that we don't feel like we're running out of breath or <laughs> that we're uneven in the exhale. We want an even inhale, even exhale. And just to answer this, a lot of people ask, do I breathe in through my nose or through my mouth? The mouth is faster, the nose is more relaxed. Mm. So when singing, chances are we're going to have to use the mouth more often than if we're speaking. If we're speaking, there's no real need to rush. And in fact, if you feel like you need to rush, that's, that's a weird voice in your head telling you, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And that's the voice we need to quell. We'll work on that in speech. But anyway, so the breathing, yes, we want to make sure that breath is grounded as low as we can. So your listeners, if you want to do that again, that's in through the nose and then out on a long hiss. It's mm. fantastic. Awesome. So the second zone, that phonation. So but, this is I'm, where... I'm oh, yeah. going to in interrupt you really quick. Sure. I have this notion that, and I'm not sure if this is what you're going to talk about, but what you say phonation, I always called um, tonality. And what you start, when you say resonance, I always thought about intensity. So, uh, and you can correct me because I'm pretty sure I'm totally wrong right now. But for me, tonality oh. was how high or low your voice goes and intensity was on how much you can um oh the word project uh, voice how much you can project in a, in a i don't know like a large room so to say oh sure that to me it's not wrong and this is something we run into when we're describing something that we can't see or really put our finger on is that we end up with lots of different vocabulary. Hmm. What I'm describing with phonation is the functionality of your vocal folds. Like this is a purely removing all quality from it. First of all, the quality to me, falls under the resonance typically. So what you're talking about intensity that can actually be a part of this phonation. Okay. Because the intensity, like trying to project the voice, that is a function primarily, or I should say, firstly, it's a, um, it's a functionality of the phonation. Yeah. Be so if we imagine our vocal folds as a pair of scissors, or if you were to take your, your pointer and your middle finger and make a little scissor action, that is kind of what your vocal folds look like if we were to see them inside your larynx. So they're connected where your knuckles are. That's similar to what the front of the vocal folds would be. Mm -hmm. And then the back where they come apart, that's how the backs of the vocal folds work. So it's not vocal cords where we think of a string elongated and then plucking the string. No, it's actually that action. Those folds come together when we speak. Uh, Ah, if I feel the air pass through and I bring the folds closer and closer together and bring my fingers closer together, I'm simulating my vocal folds coming together and touching. Mm. Hi, hi, hello, everyone. Good morning. 
that sensation. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, part of a great warm up for this to get people really accustomed is to feel a glottal attack. It sounds more intense than it actually is, but it's the pressing together of the vocal folds and then allowing them to pop open. Quite the opposite of what we just did with hi. This would be I, I. Yeah. We feel that little hit. Yeah. So it's the chords touching and closing. A lot of people have difficulty with this because we've connected a heavy exhale with a lot of our speaking. Really, we want these two to work in tandem. I, I, hi, I, I. Like even the glottal attack, we want to soften that ultimately. But it's a great way to wake up your voice okay. and to practice the compression. Yeah. So if you're you've done your breathing, I would say ah 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 ah. Just little touches. Just little touches to wake up those closure muscles and get your vocal cords working. Now to get into that fun part though that you were talking about, the resonance. This is where we get the cherry on top. This is the whipped cream and cherry on top of our vocal Sunday. So this we can deal Oh, to circle back though, I want to make sure that we touch on intensity. What you were saying, how to take over the room with your voice. Yeah. The degree to which we press together our vocal cords can help increase the volume. Think of it like if we are clapping with your two hands and we have the whole hand clapping, that would be the full mass, a very strong speaking voice where I am speaking quite aggressively, but trying to make sure the people in the back of the theater can hear me. Yeah. Versus if I only clap two fingers, it's a much smaller sound and it's more my indoor voice, so to speak, as we'll tell the kids. Yeah. yeah. Same principle. The full mass of the folds hitting creates the big sound, the big intense sound. And then the thinner vocal folds are going to make the smaller. So you can feel that with ah like oh i found my keys the opera singer finds his keys ah that feeling versus the um the regular person finds their keys ah there they are ah opera singer ah hello good morning versus oh hi good morning it's good to see you so yeah you can feel that compression that will work working on that comes down to practicing that glottal attack so much. Yeah. Now, again, all things in moderation. I don't want to push anyone to do something they feel uncomfortable with. It can feel tight at first. We're working muscles and coordination. So if it feels uncomfortable, you don't have to do it. Lighten it up. Otherwise, moving on to that third zone, the resonance. This is where things get fun because resonance is describing where the air goes. So it starts in zone one around our core. We breathe in, it passes through the vocal folds. Ah, they vibrate. And then where the air goes after it passes the vocal folds determines everything. So if we send it out the mouth, we get a lot of what we call oral resonance. The air is passing out of the mouth. Ah, ha, ha. This gets into yelling we do this it can be um people who talk right out of their mouth kind of you might have a little bit of a cold or something mm, like um oh, nose noise yes yeah. yes versus the complete opposite of that would be passing everything through the nose where it's almost hard to understand um this is uh -huh. i always think of the old 
um, operator sound. Mm, hello, operator. Yeah. Like a lot of weird voices like that. Um, that is not. There's no sound that we make that is 100% either one. So whenever someone has a nasal voice or someone has too much mouth resonance, what you're hearing is a slight imbalance, and that is it. So a lot of our work in speech and in singing is finding that balance. So something that we'll play with if someone has way too much mouth resonance, indicators of that would be you have to talk really loud. You might get hoarse quite often. You feel dry. There's a touch of rasp sometimes in your speaking voice. Then you need more nose resonance, more nasal resonance, more air passing up into your nose. I promise you, you will not, not sound nasal. But in the exercises, you will sound nasal, and that's okay because we're balancing. So something I like to do is the NG sound, or a hum, the hum is probably more accessible. The NG feels really weird, but it's, if you, it really does. So, but if you take the word sing, for instance, S-I-N-G, sing would be a great way to warm up your voice and balance yourself. Yeah. Sing. And you could even try taking what you have to say in a presentation and speak it through that NG. And it sounds really weird when you do. It sounds really weird when you do, but you start to feel those vibrations. And much like a bat uses echolocation in a cave, you start to get the lay of the land, or you can feel the internal structures of your nasal passages, of your pharynx or the back of your throat. You start to understand your own voice with that. So helpful. Now, if you have way too much nose in your sound, if you sound nasal, chances are there's a little too much tension around where the phonation happens. Your throat probably feels a little tight from time to time. Yeah. You might have a little excessive vocal fry. You might feel like, uh, I, I can barely breathe or I, there's a lot of breath pressure building up. And plus people tell you, ooh, you sound nasal. What would really be helpful here is the good old fashioned pinching of the nose or speaking as though you have a, a yawn in your throat mm -hmm. just to relax all of these muscles in the throat. <sighs> so this, we, uh, with the children that I teach sometimes, we call this the brown bear voice. Oh, hello, I sure wish I had some honey. Or we could even say, uh, the opera singer finds his keys, but quietly, ah, ah. Or you can think of um, a cooking video showing your final plated, beautiful dish of gnocchi. Ah, delicious. You know, it's your, your PPS voice, yeah. so to speak. Ah, ah, hmm. Um, yeah. And then a fun exercise would be to take your the the hum and experiment back and forth like trying to send all the sound to the nose versus all the sound to the mouth mm -hmm. there are tons of exercises tons of ways to get about this and some things are going to feel wrong to you and some are going to feel right stick with those ones that feel like they agree with what your body wants to do mm. that's the rule of thumb here yeah yeah wow wow um I'm a speechless still. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Oh, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna I'm gonna try a couple of of those exercises that you that you recommend um, here. Um, wow, man! I, I we're really close to to reach the hour. 
and I feel that I had like five or six more questions, but um, but I'm gonna try to respect your time and wrap this up. Um, I feel we covered a lot of ground, David, but I want to quote one of the articles you wrote one last time. Deny each and every invitation to play the competition game. I don't know if that brings up anything for you or anything to add, but you are a New York artist. I can't imagine the amount of competition you have to face as a musician, <laughs> actor, add social media on top of that. And you have the perfect, I'm not good enough. This is not for me, I quit cocktail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't know if you 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 can add something on top of that, man. Yeah, the comparison game. I tell you what. Nothing can stifle us as artists faster than comparing what we have to offer at any given moment to what someone else is offering mm. at any given moment. Mm. And when we compare ourselves at our, our particular point in a journey to where someone to what someone else is doing who's on a completely different part of their journey it's unfair to us it's unfair to them and it denies the possibility like immediately the lights are flipped on we, it's like you see the strings holding up the moon instead of living in that that um that world where anything is possible where the infinite is just a breath away so for me, that comparison game, I call it the comparison game, but we all know what it is. It's, yeah. oh, this one, this one can sing higher. This one's thinner. This one's stronger. It, it's just, it stifles. It stifles everything. And it gives, it's an opportunity for your brain to win in a way. <laughs> I think uh, I was reading the book Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck-Dwecky. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this piece. Uh, yeah, Dr. Carol Dweck. And she, she brings it to light in this way. She says there are two mindsets that we have. One is the fixed mindset that says failure is bad, that I probably can't do something, therefore I should stay safe and not attempt it, uh. versus the other mindset that says failure is an opportunity to grow. Yeah. Taking risks is how we evolve. We want to do everything we can to live in that second camp as much as possible. It's hard. It's a daily battle. It's a moment to moment battle. The comparison game to me is a indicator that we're living in that fixed mindset. Yeah. Cause when we compare, we're taking our eyes off of our goals. We're taking our, our energy and rather than focusing it on what could be and making ourselves better, oh man, it's, we're putting that on other folks. And it, and it makes you view the world in so much, with so much cynicism. And I can't, I just can't do that. And I can't advocate for it. Yeah. So yeah, the comparison game, bah, boo, bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> bad. Um, <laughs> growth, growth mindset actually is a, it's a skill. Yes. It's not easy. You have to develop it. But when, when we talk about the, the, the competition game, um, yeah, you can think about, oh, this guy has a higher range than me or he mm -hmm. can act better than me or whatever. But it's also with social media, it's also that you can, you start seeing <sighs> um, any type of colleague, right? Uh, your friend. 
and all these people is getting all the roles that you want and you are getting none. And, 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 and so, again, it's like, oh, why? What's wrong with me? Why did I get in this? And even you can be like confident in yourself and you can you can think, oh, but I am better than them. Why am I not getting the roles and they are <laughs> getting my the, the gigs instead of me? So, so for, for example, this is this is um, my own approach. I try to not when I get into social media, uh, I, I try to you, you have consumers and creators. And I'm trying to mm -hmm. stick to being a creator. When I get into social media, I'm trying to avoid becoming the consumer. Because yes. if not, the, my, my subconscious mind takes over and starts saying like, oh, look at him. <laughs> he has mm -hmm. followers. Or look at him. He has a better guest, you know? <laughs> so, mm. yeah. I, I completely feel you. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. To be the creator, not a consumer. Yeah. That oh boy but being a consumer feels so much more comfortable doesn't it it's so much more relaxed it is constant work like you said it's a rehearsed skill it, it is a rehearsed skill and being the consumer is more appealing it's more easy being the creator takes more time but which brings you joy um <laughs> joy like the word joy being the creator 100 percent because you've got skin in the game, you're trying things, you're experimenting, you're failing, you're succeeding, you're learning, you're growing. The human condition is not meant to be comfortable. And if it is, I have news for you, you're probably not challenging yourself or growing that much. Yeah. We are meant to be uncomfortable. And that is something I, to circle back, you have to, man, it's the the moment we become comfortable is the moment, how do we put this? So in my, uh, again, going back to my time at the barter, a character dies when they're uncomfortable or when they're comfortable. And what I mean by that, an actor playing a character. So when an actor gives over to a character, we see that character. But as soon as the actor finds comfort on stage or stops pursuing an action, that character kind of dies and we lose interest in them, wow. so to speak. And it, you can speak any language, you can be deaf, you can be anything, but you can see that a mile away when a person is not engaged to the fullest, most uncomfortable extent on stage. Because, because it's nonverbal communication. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Did I have, David, I had just, Two final questions again. Sure. Trying to respect as much as I can your time, but um, I'm gonna assume all responsibility <laughs> if I'm, I'm I'm trying to to monopolize your time to capitalize your time. <laughs> I love it. Um, this is a, a question my co-host wanted to ask, and he wants to know how to show emotion with your voice when you speak, whether it's public speaking, broadcasting, or even even in a one-on-one -on -one interaction like a date for example you can answer this any way you want but i feel i feel there's a slight edge between those that speak on a flat way all the time and you don't know what they are feeling and the people that is not authentic you know they are kind of faking it so to say so could yes. you speak to this idea and i'm not sure if i'm formulating the the question in the right way so it's more like a statement <laughs> <laughs> it completely makes sense no you are right how do we allow 
our emotions, our individual emotions inform our performance and our speaking. I completely get that. And you are so right. It has to come from a true place. Otherwise, we stink. There's a literal stench that fills the air when someone is being fake and we can't stand it as human beings. So what I would say is practice with, we can get a, pretty methodical about this, but take, hmm, like if we take your breath, let it start with there, like relax yourself, make sure you're starting from a place that's already true. Like you're not putting anything on yeah. and then speak at a rate at which you can make no mistakes. There is yeah. no need to rush anything. A lot of the putting on emotion is because yeah. we assume, oh, this is supposed to be emotional. I'm supposed to be blank here. And we yeah. insert a label. Labels are fake and they are to be applied after the fact by an audience, not by the creator necessarily. Mm -hmm. The creator is the, is the source, but we don't want to make any judgments or predetermined calls on what we might feel while we're reading something or while we're uh, performing something. So if I'm speaking about something, <laughs> like if I'm, if I'm speaking to my colleagues in a boardroom, I'm not necessarily going to be gosh, making my voice go up and down uh, as much as I'm allowing it to be here. Like I'm getting really excited talking to you. So I, I'm pretty animated right now. But if I'm speaking in a boardroom and I'm standing still, I will put a little variation in my voice. Like you notice, I'll, I'll lift the pitch a little bit and I'll go a little, I might drop a little bit lower to make a point or yeah. raise my voice at the end at a question, like all of those things. But again, I'm not going to be forcing anything. I guess that's the big thing. Do not force anything, allow everything. So gosh, that is something that also comes with time, like yeah. developing your taste to that, like making sure that I'm talking in circles now about it because this is something that is so important no, and the no. answer feels oversimplistic yeah. that you have to just allow. But I think a huge, one of the things that I've seen the most success with and I actually experienced this in an acting class that I was taking over Zoom. There was there were some decisions, predetermined decisions, that were taking away the human element of the acting. So it felt like we had two robots that had made decisions that were just not like two Furbies talking to each other, and it wasn't happening. Like there was nothing really there. But then we did an exercise where we just had a conversation. We just started talking about everyday things and then went directly into the text and suddenly we sounded like human beings having a conversation and we sounded like that because we were having a conversation yeah all I, that to say get back I, to the simple yeah go ahead i remember that i uh, that i watched a master class i can't remember the name of this actor um might be dustin hoffman is mm. the name am i right yes and, and the master class, he said exactly the same that you said. That there you go. The, he told the actors, okay, try to not, not to act, so to say. Just keep a normal conversation. And when you're feeling in the zone, start rehearsing, reading the, the dialogues. And, yes. and, 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 the, and the scene went way more smoothly. Right. It's, and suddenly the meaning starts to be generated because you're not putting, you've not made any decisions, you're allowing. That's what it means, allowing.
Yeah. So trust that that emotion will come through. It won't be to the degree that you think it is. But we as humans pick up on that. We, we have such great sensors for that, that even the smallest emotion we're going to pick up on. Definitely. So it doesn't exactly. Yeah, well, exactly what I'm reading right now on a book called uh, Social Intelligence uh, from Daniel Goleman. He says that that we are made to get those small little um, signals that, mm -hmm. are, that our subconscious mind just understands when someone is being um, is being fake and what if someone is being um, honest. Yes. Man, now we covered a lot of ground. This was fantastic, David. Oh, and thank let you. Let me ask you one last question. How can yes. you improve yourself every day? How can you improve yourself every day? Yes. <laughs> what a simple question, you. <laughs> well, let's see. How to... I'll put it to you like this. I'm currently working on a composition for a, <laughs> it's a fun project. It's a, a soap opera that a friend of mine has written for an improv team of mine to perform or to film over Zoom. And he's given, us, given me and another gentleman the task of coming up with the music for the piece. So I have not experienced a lot. I have done some arranging, but when it came to the composition, that was something that I was allowing myself to get tripped up in my mind, like, oh, other people do this better. The comparison game in my own life. And I was wrestling with this. So what I have done now, I sit down and I work on this. And the way I have it set up, I set my timer and I play my piano for an uninterrupted 15 to 20 minutes and record it. I then, uh, which I am not allowed to make any judgment calls, if not really allowed to stop. If I start to judge something, no, I have to stick in that moment and figure it out. Why was I judging it? And But only expressing that through my fingers and through the piano. And then I get to go back and edit. Ex now I'm finding that because of that time that I'm devoting there and allowing those mistakes to come through, as a composer, I am immediately finding so much joy in this creation process. And now that time has, what was once a requirement and a regiment has now become, has tipped over into the land of joy, like personal joy time that now I'm spending so much more time doing it. But it began with that uncomfortable sitting down and facing myself in a way, facing the part of me that I made a judgment on myself. Is so I would say it's sticking to that regimen, like you said to your girlfriend, giving the deadline. And this way, it was giving myself a regimen. And then it became a joyful habit now. Awesome. A deadline and no judgment. I love yes. that. Thank you, David. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. This has been such a joy, such a pleasure. I appreciate your thoughtful questions and I appreciate you reaching out. No worries, my man. Thanks to you. Just one thing before we finish, David is one of the best active listeners and most skilled conversationalists I've ever met. The way he used the same words I used during my questions, to introduce his ideas, to, to answer, the vibe he adds to the conversation, he knows how to create a report. Listen, if you want to understand what I'm talking about and learn, go back. 
go back and pay attention. Listen to how he responds after my questions. <laughs> That's such an amazing episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>